Good morning, Solid Rock. I hope you have your Bibles ready, your handouts ready. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 15. And for your notes, and you're going to want to take notes today. In fact, you can write stuff in your Bible today. Uh, you can write it on a piece of paper, in your notepad, whatever. But Luke chapter 15, the title of the teaching today is Son or Servant. Son or Servant. And we're looking at the parable of the prodigal son. We're looking at other things in Luke chapter 15 as well. But our main focus is the parable of the prodigal son. And before we really get into it, let me just say this. When I say sons, it's a given that it also means daughters. In this parable, sons and daughters is what it's applying. And uh, ladies, so don't feel bad when I keep saying the word sons. I'm referring to you two. It makes you feel better. Uh, men in the Bible are also the bride of Christ. So maybe that helps you out with that. So men are the bride of Christ and ladies can also be sons. So sons or servants. And when I say servants, understand we all serve God. We're all servants of God. But in this parable, there's a huge difference between a hired servant and the son. A hired servant gets what they deserve. They get what they earn. But a son is given certain things. And you and I, if you're a believer, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We've been given the free gift of salvation, which is what we're looking at in these parables. Now listen, 30 minutes from now, you're going to feel really great about your relationship with God. And regardless of what you have done that's been bad in your life, you're going to feel really good about going to heaven. Okay, that's how you're going to feel in 30 minutes from now. And we're going to get this from God's word. But understand that we are sons and daughters if we're believers. We're not hired servants. In fact, we're not sons because we serve God. We serve God because we're sons and daughters. There's a big difference, okay? We're not a hired servant. If we got what we actually deserve, we would get hell. But we don't get that. And listen real close. We're not sons and daughters because we serve. We serve because we're sons and daughters. Let me show you a scripture before we get into the thick of things. Galatians 4, 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. This is referring to being a slave to the law. There's other scriptures talking about being a slave to sin. We're not slaves. We're sons and daughters. And there's certain things that we get as gifts as being sons and daughters of the Most High God. So let's get into it. The prodigal son. I know you know the story, okay? The prodigal son is a parable that Jesus told. In other words, it's like an inspirational story to go along with a deeper uh, truth from God's word. And the prodigal son, you know, so he demanded his inheritance from his dad. His dad gave him his money. The boy goes to Las Vegas and spends it all on prostitutes, gambling, on, on alcohol, drugs. And he ends up eating food out the back of a McDonald's garbage can. He has nothing left. He's with the pigs. And then that's where we're going to take off in verse 17 through 24. Okay, so he's failed miserably, done awful things, a lot of bad stuff. He's sitting with the pigs. And in Luke 15, 17 through 24, he says this. When he came to himself, he said, and this is Jesus telling this parable. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I will perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's saying, because of my behavior, because I left home and did wrong things and I disobeyed you, now I'm not part of your family. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve a relationship with you. 
Because of the things I've done, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Now, just remember, he said, I'm no longer. He didn't say, I'm not worthy. He said, I'm no longer. Remember that phrase in a little bit. Treat me as one of your hired servants. There's the title of the sermon. Are you a son or are you a servant? And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced and kissed him. This is the only place in the whole Bible where we see a picture, an analogy of God the Father running. Who is he running to? Is he running to the Apostle Paul that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? Is he running to somebody that did all kind of good things in their life? He's running to someone who failed miserably. He embraced him, kissed him, and the son, he's a son. He's still a son, but he says this, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer, we see it again, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, servants, here's what you do. I need you to do this. Bring the best robe. I want you to put it on my son. Bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Get the fattened calf and kill it. We're going to celebrate my son. Not my slave, not my hired servant. My son was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. They began to celebrate. So the son wanted his father to treat him differently because of his bad behavior. The son said, you know what? I shouldn't even be in the family because I did wrong things. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your inheritance. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve... This is what grace is all about. This whole parable is about grace, okay? So when the prodigal son returns home, his father has the servants give him three gifts. Gift. G-I-F-T. A gift. Okay? These are the three points of my sermons. He gave him a, a robe. He gave him a ring. And because I really need my three points to start with the same letter... He gave him Reeboks, okay? Robe, ring, and a pair of Reeboks. And just as a side note, if you want to write in your Bibles or write this in your notes, these three things are actually things that you would take away from someone once they become your servant. Once they, they owed a debt, they couldn't pay whatever, and they, you have to surrender their life to somebody, these are things you take away. I'm taking away the, the, your, your shoes. I'm taking away your jewelry. I'm taking away your clothes because you're a hired servant. So these three things the father gave him are actually things you take away from a slave and you give it to a son and a daughter. So these three points are going to change your life today. Ready? Point number one is this, the robe of righteousness. The robe, this gift represents righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. Right standing with God. And it's, it, it, this robe, I have a question, is this robe earned or is it a gift? Did the prodigal son earn this robe or was it given to him? Now, let me just prove to you that, that robe represents righteousness. Isaiah 61.10, God's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The answer that you give me in your heart or out loud when I ask you, is the robe earned or a gift? The answer that you respond with that determines how you see God, how you see yourself, and how you see other people. Because if you think that it's earned, then you think other people need to earn it as well. If you, I want you to see that it's 100% a gift and 0% earned. In fact, let me ask you this. What did the prodigal son do to earn it? I mean, look, let's look at it. What did he do to earn it? 
Here's, let me actually show you what the prodigal son did. Okay, the word prodigal means this. No restraint. You're in, being promiscuous, gambling, and getting drunk. That's what it means. So that's what he did. Did he earn it or was it a gift? Verse 19, I told you to remember this. He said, I am no longer worthy to be your son. This tells me at one point in his life, he actually thought he was worthy. At one point in his life, he actually thought, well, because I'm home, because I'm obeying, because I'm doing the right thing, I'm worthy. But now that I did the wrong thing, I am not worthy anymore. Because of my behavior, I don't deserve your love, your relationship, your grace. This is how you and I think. When we have a bad week, okay, when we only pray twice in a week, when we only uh, read our Bible once, when we fast forward through the sermon on YouTube, we think, you know what, I'm not having a good week. And so I don't deserve to pray and ask God to heal my family. I don't deserve for to ask him to, to make my business successful. I don't deserve to lift my hands and worship God. I don't deserve to pray big prayers. I don't deserve to share the gospel. I don't deserve to hold my head up because I had a bad week. But when I have a good week and I've read my Bible seven times in seven days, I gave the whole 10% tithe to the storehouse. When I'm having a, I haven't looked at anything bad on the internet, I haven't cussed anybody or gossiped. It's been a good week. So this week, if I die this week, I'm going to heaven. But man, if I had died last week when I was doing bad, I'd be in hell. This is how you and I think. Now, we think, <laughs> we think, I'm not going to heaven because I'm not worthy. I can't pray big prayers because I'm, I'm having a bad week. Let me tell you a truth that I hope you never forget. You, my friend, were never worthy. You were never worthy. You've never had a week good enough that you were actually worthy to go to heaven. Let me show you this performance mentality that people have. Romans 4, 6, God credits righteousness apart from works. In other words, you can have the robe of righteousness regardless of what you've done. It's like the stimulus check. You get it. You didn't earn it, deserve it, but you get it. It's free. Now, it's up to you if you're going to cash it. It's up to you if you're going to sign the back and make the deposit. But it was sent to you as a free gift apart from works. Romans 4, verse 24. God will credit righteousness to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Here's how you get it because you're a believer. Uh, you didn't earn it last week. You didn't earn it the week before. If I, if I took every good thing you've ever done in life, you still wouldn't be able to earn right standing with God Almighty, the God of the universe. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm sure you know my friend uh, Ron Kaufman. Uh, Ron Kaufman is a really great guy. His son says he's the best dad in the world. His wife says he's the best husband. He's a great guy. Everybody loves Ron Kaufman. If you knew Ron and you thought this, you know what? Because of how he's lived, he's going to heaven. That's a bad thought for you to have because if the way, if, if, because he's been such a good guy his whole life, if he's going to heaven because he's been such a good guy, that means that I'm going to hell because I haven't been as good as him. In fact, if there's anybody you know and you think, well, because of how good they've been, they are definitely worthy of heaven. That's bad news for you and me because we're probably not as good as they are. Here's the truth. None of us are worthy. It's a gift. It's a gift. Zechariah 3, 4, take away the filthy garments from him. Watch this. Filthy garments. 
He said, behold, I've taken away your sin and I'll clothe you with rich robes. Okay, there should be no question in your mind that in this passage, filthy is sin and righteousness is the rich robe. Okay, I want to teach you something and we'll get to the next point. Remember in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, God said, eat from the tree of life. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't called the knowledge of evil. It was called the knowledge of good and evil. Remember that. God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not just evil, good and evil. Okay, remember that? And the scripture just said that, that filthy, filthiness is sin. Okay, watch this. Isaiah 64, 6. All of our righteousness. In other words, our good deeds, the Bible says. All the good things we've done. Are not the righteousness of Jesus that we get through the free robe. But our righteousness, all of that is filthy rags. Filthy. This just said that all the good things you've done is sin. Every good and bad you've done in compared to a perfect God is sin. Here's what I'm trying to show you. We don't lose our sonship because of the bad things we've done. But just as equal, we don't get our sonship because of the good things we've done. Even the good deeds you did is still, in fact, all the good things you did piled up in one bunch is not even close to the worst thing about God, which is nothing, which is nothing. We are not going to heaven because we're good enough. Um, let me show you another scripture and I'll get to my next point. Revelation 3.18, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. God not only forgives you when you believe it and receive it, the robe actually covers up your shame. You don't have to be ashamed. It covers you. It covers your sin. It covers your past. It covers your shame. It's like one of those hospital blankets, those hospital gowns that they give us. I have a picture we're going to show in a second. When I was in the hospital and I had one of those gowns on and I went to go to the cafeteria or something and it doesn't, it doesn't close in the back. We have a picture. We don't have that picture. But I'm sure you can imagine it's not that kind of robe. The robe of righteousness covers everything. It covers everything you've ever done, good and bad, because it's Jesus' righteousness, not ours. And I just want to tell you this too. People think the wealth of God in heaven is his streets of gold. God's pavement is gold. That's not what he's wealthy in. That's nothing. That's his dirt. Okay, that's nothing. Let me show you how wealthy he is. Ephesians 2, 4. God is so rich in mercy. You want to know how wealthy he is? He's so wealthy that he can give you a robe that covers up every single bad and good thing you've ever done and say, Jesus's righteousness now belongs to you. We are not sons because we serve. We serve because we're sons. Okay, so number one, robe of righteousness. Number two is this, ready? Ring of authority. The ring was given to him, and it represents authority. And let me prove that to you. Genesis 41, 42. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen and a gold chain around his neck. Joseph was a thug. And it says he set him over all the land of Egypt. So the ring represented authority. Let me give you another one. Esther 8, 8. <clears throat> Write a decree for the Jews in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For a letter sealed with the king's signet ring no one can revoke. 
because the ring represented authority. Okay, so the ring that God gives us as a gift is like a police badge. When you see a policeman, a policewoman, and they have the badge, that person itself isn't the authority. The badge shows the city that is delegating authority to them. A policeman with the badge says this, the whole city is backing me up. I have authority, but it was delegated to me by a higher source, by a bigger group of people. What is our authority good for that we get as sons and daughters of Christ? It says in Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. In other words, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't be discouraged. Uh, Satan may have, may, may have launched an all-out attack on us, and, and it's normal for him to fight against us, but it's not normal for him to win. We have authority, and when we rebuke him in Jesus' name and with the word of God, he flees not because he's scared of us, but he's scared of who's backing us up. I found a story about this young cub that was playing in the woods one day, and a huge lion appeared in front of him, and the, the cub got so scared he was shaking, and the lion was getting closer and closer and was about to pounce on the cub, and all of a sudden the lion just froze in his tracks. It backed up very slowly, turned around, and ran away. That cub thought, man, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting bigger. I have what it takes. And when the cub turned around, he didn't realize it. But Papa Bear had quietly came up behind him. The lion was not afraid of the cub. The lion was afraid of who was backing that cub up. You and I, we're the cub. We have the most powerful force in the universe backing us up. And Ephesians 6, 12 says we don't fight against human beings, but against rulers of darkness and spiritual powers of evil. Listen real close. You have a ring of authority. It's like the Green Lantern. That's the, that's the DC character that, he has, anyway, he has a ring. Never mind. Doesn't be a big deal. So you got to get the word of God in the name of Jesus when you declare power and victory in your life. You plead the blood of Jesus over your household, over your family. From the words that come out of your mouth and what you believe inside of your heart, you can declare victory. And Satan must run, not because of you, but because of who's backing you up. The greatest way that people lose their ring of authority is by walking in pride. They think that it's their intelligence, that it's their kingdom they're trying to build. They have a problem with submitting to authority. They have a problem with being asked or told what to do. They think they always have a better way, and they will always lose their God-given authority if they get full of pride. Let me show you a scripture, and we'll go to the next point. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. The centurion came to Jesus and asked for help. Lord, my servant's paralyzed. He's suffering terribly. Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? Now watch this. Jesus is about to pay the greatest compliment I've ever read Jesus paying anybody, okay? The centurion said, Lord, just say the word. My servant will be healed. For I myself am a man who's under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, he goes. Another one, come, and he comes. In verse 10, when Jesus heard this, Jesus, the Son of God, was amazed and said, I have not even found anybody in Myrtle Beach. I've been visiting all the churches. I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Why did the centurion have such great faith? Why did he understand faith, the miraculous healing, miracles? Why 
Did Jesus pay him such a great compliment? Here's why. He understood authority. He knew when the person over him says, do this, do that, he doesn't, he doesn't question, he goes forth. He knows that God delegates authority. That authority, no man has, God delegates all authority. He knew it. He has people under him, and when he says it, they do it. So he understood, if God says it, that settles it, and that's it. Don't lose your ring of authority by walking in pride. Number three, number three, this is my favorite point, okay? Number three, the rebox of rights. The rebox of rights. And if you really want to be more biblical, you can say the, sun, the shoes of sonship. The shoes of sonship. Okay, shoes in the Bible. When you took off your shoes, you were giving up all your rights. If you want the rights that belong to a son and daughter of Christ, you have to first give up all the rights that you think you have, you belong, they belong to you, you deserve. In other words, you may have a right to be angry with somebody, but you give it up. You may have a right to be bitter, have unforgiveness, you give it up. You may have a right to blame someone else for your problems, you give it up. You may have a right to build your own kingdom, pursue your own dreams, your own desires, give it all up. Once you give up your rights, God will give you the rights that belong to a son and a daughter of him. Famous story, I want to prove the point of shoes being rights. Uh, Boaz in the Bible wanted to marry Ruth. But he couldn't because there was someone called a near kinsman redeemer. In other words, Ruth, there was another guy who was in line to marry Ruth if he wanted to. He had the right to marry Ruth before Boaz. And Boaz goes up to the guy and says, dude, I want to marry Ruth. And uh, you got first dibs. I mean, would you give up that right? And in Ruth 4, 7, this was the custom in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was confirmation. So the guy took off his shoe, gave it to Boaz, said, okay, I'm giving up my right to marry her. You can marry her. Let me give you another example. I, I love this example. Watch this. Deuteronomy 25, 7. If, okay, so let's say a guy dies. The guy's brother has the right to take in his brother's wife to take care of her and to marry her, okay? So Deuteronomy 25, 7, if a man does not want to take his brother's wife, in other words, I don't want to marry her, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother will not perform the duty. He won't marry me. Then the elders of the city shall call him, but if he stands firm and says, I do not want to marry her. I don't like her. She's, I, I didn't want to marry her. I didn't want my brother to marry her. She's ugly. She, she's stronger than me. I don't know, whatever the reason is. I don't, I don't know. Her breath stinks. Whatever. I don't want to marry her. Then his brother's wife shall come to him, remove his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. I love that. She gets a little bit of revenge. You don't want to marry me? I'm taking your shoes and I'm hawking a loogie in your face. I, I love that. Anyway, so shoes are right. Real quick, do you remember... Another place in the Bible where somebody was asked to take off their shoes. Remember when God called to Moses through the burning bush? Moses goes on the side of the mountain, and the first thing God says to him in Exodus 3, 5, Take off your shoes, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. God was saying, Moses, if you want to hear from me, 
You have to give up your rights. If you want to hear the direction I have for your life, if you want to hear the plan and the destiny that I have for you, you have to give up all of your dreams, all your desires, because the ones I'm going to put inside of you are better than what you have now. The things you think you can do on your own, nothing compared to what I can do through you. The ideas, the creativity, you just wait till you get filled with my spirit, Moses. But you got to take off your shoes, give up your rights, and then you'll be a son and a daughter of mine. So give up your shoes. Um, there are three people in the parable of the prodigal son, okay? It's real important. There's, and I want you to answer out loud, okay? There's the father, there's the prodigal son, and there's somebody else in the parable. The other brother, the other son. Why didn't Jesus just tell a parable about a father and son? It seemed like that would be sufficient, right? The, the, the son did a lot of bad things, ran away, he came back, he said, I don't deserve to be your son. The father said, no, you've always been my son. Here's the gift. You think that would be it. But there's a third person in the parable. The brother. Why even bring the brother up? What is the purpose of the brother? Well, to answer that, we have to answer this. Why was Jesus telling a parable in the first place? Who was he talking to? What was going on? What was the purpose of the parable? Why, why was he teaching this? Who was around him, okay? There were three people there. There was Jesus. There was sinners. And there were Pharisees, religious people. Look how Luke 15 starts in verse 1. Now the sinners were all gathering around Jesus, but the Pharisees muttered, This man welcomes sinners. I want to read that scripture again, but I want you right where you're at, either out loud or in your heart, I want you to say, Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to read it again. In the end of this, say, Thank you, Jesus. Okay, ready? Luke 15, 1. The sinners were all gathering around Jesus. But the Pharisees muttered, this man welcomes sinners. Thank you, Jesus. Then Jesus told these parables. Okay, so Luke 15 has three parables. Watch, 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 watch. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Okay? The lost sheep. He tells about a guy, a shepherd, who has 100 sheep. He leaves 99 Finds the one, brings them back. In Luke 15, 7, he says, remember, there's a, there's a story with the truth. Here's the truth. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who don't need to repent. Okay? Next parable. A woman has 10 coins. She loses one. She lights a lamp. She looks around, finds the coin, puts it back with the 10. In Luke 15, 9, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. There is more rejoicing over one sinner who repents. So it's all about grace. It's all about gifts. Now, when Jesus is saying this, the Pharisees are so angry because they thought they had earned a relationship with God. And now Jesus is giving sinners all this attention. Pharisees get so upset when someone else gets attention. When someone else is blessed, when someone else is recognized, they think, well, what about me? That's what the older son was saying. What about me, God? What about, what about Dad, you, you gave, you're giving my brother a ring, a robe, these shoes. What have you done? And the father says, everything I have is yours. Can't you be happy for somebody else? And the Pharisees were so upset. And so Jesus is saying it's all about grace. 
The Pharisees can't earn it. The sinners can't earn it. It's all about God giving you the gift of salvation. So in the parable of the prodigal son, the father represents God. The prodigals represents you and me, the sinners. And the older son represents the Pharisees. And Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees, sinners haven't earned grace. You haven't earned grace. It's all a gift. See, a lot of people, they grew up in a household where if they do everything right, the parents love them. If they make mistakes, the parents don't love them. And they get this mentality thinking they have to earn the love of God. And Jesus shows up and says, it's not about you. It's all about the Father loving you so much that he sent his son to offer this free gift. Here's the point I'm trying to make. The older son in the parable never took his shoes off. He never gave up his rights. He makes it all about him. It's not about what the father wanted to do. It's not about blessing others. It's not about the free gift for everyone. He makes it all about himself. What's interesting to me in Luke 15, and I'm closing. There's three parables. First one's about an animal. Second one is about an object, a coin. The third one is about a son. The thing that sets these parables apart. The first two, remember the shepherd goes out and finds the sheep. The woman goes out and tries looking for the coin. But in the third parable, the father is outside looking around on his property, always turned towards the sun, just waiting. But he doesn't take off running until the sun turns towards him. As humans, we have a free will. <laughs> the son has to make the decision to give up his rights. The son has to make the decision to receive. Listen, even though the father's standing on the porch looking for you, you have to receive the robe, receive the ring, and receive the rebox. Servants earn wages, but sons and daughters are given the free gift of salvation. So it's up to you. You can spend the rest of your life trying to earn it, try to make other people earn it, <laughs> pointing fingers at people that aren't doing what you're doing and aren't as good as you, or you can receive the free gift. Trust me when I say no matter how hard you try to earn it, you never will. It's a free gift. You can't lose it by doing bad things. You can't earn it by doing good things. All you can do is accept the love from God our Father.